thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me at the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 146 of the best damn space sim podcast ever, and is recorded on Friday, November 18th, and made available for download Tuesday, November 22nd, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Ostron. And unfortunately, Kinshadow was left in an odd stupor by the Star Citizen livestream, so we had to pull Henry out of the audio booth to help out with hosting. Hello, everyone. So what do we have this week, Henry? Well, this week we're skipping the Squawk Box segment to dive straight into the news as we check out what's landed on the flight deck as we bring you our analysis and rundown of everything that happened at the Star Citizen anniversary livestream, and a good Samaritan going above and beyond in Elite Dangerous. After that, we're debating whether things that are internal should ever be external before finally turning into the feedback loop and letting you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and head straight over to the flight deck. 3175, Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for November 18th, 2016 is not happening. Uh, given the anniversary sale in progress, any numbers we report here would be laughably wrong by the time the episode airs. As most backers were aware, a few hours before this recording, CIG held their anniversary live stream to mark the beginning of the original crowdfunding campaign from four years ago. The format of the live stream has evolved quite a bit since then, where before it was simply some cameras set up at various locations in their office with staff and guests wandering in and out. Now it's an actual production, merging development news with an in-universe feel. The livestream opened as though it was a special edition of the in-universe show Galactic Tour, a star-citizenized version of Top Gear, covering the Galactic Aerospace Expo. The virtual host, Jax McCleary, featured in some pre-rendered video stings and voiceovers at times, while Chris and Sandy took over as on-scene reporters live from the Expo. The ship information presented was introduced as reveals from major manufacturers, and the Star Marine demo was touted as an invitational eSports tournament final. They were working pretty hard to sell the in-universe conceit to begin with, but by the end of the presentation most of the trappings had fallen away. It was still live, as evidenced by several technical hiccups, but it was definitely more scripted and polished. The first item on their list was showing off big ships. They had several developers talking about design processes, but most people's attention was probably on the pretty videos. They had multiple beauty passes of the exteriors of the Idris, the Javelin, and the Bengal. Then, as an extra treat, they had camera passes of the corridors and some control sections inside those ships. Some of those had been seen before, and in the end, they were just corridors for the most part. But you could tell the artists did a good job, and the renderings were impressive in their details. The last big ship got a little more attention. The discussion of the Caterpillar focused a lot on the ship's modularity, a feature that had been brought up before with the ship. Most of the discussion was done as a voiceover for more Beauty Pass videos, featuring a legit cutlass that nonetheless had a deep red paint job. Giving a harsher and slightly more threatening look than the capital ships, in the end, it turned out the Caterpillar comes out as being slightly longer than the Starfarer, though its profile is smaller. 
From there, they went down to smaller ships and covered the design passes that have been done on the Herald, the 85X, and the Cutlass. All of the work on the Herald and 85X covered was largely cosmetic. The Herald was given the official Drake look, now that CIG has an aesthetic for that, and the 85X was made to match the new look for Origin, defined by the principles of you can see yourself in every surface because it's that glossy and sharp corners are not a thing. The Cutlass got more of an overhaul. In addition to updating the aesthetic to match the Drake look, some of the doors on the ships have been redone, weapon arrangements have been reconfigured, and a few other things have been tweaked. You were impressed by the visuals, Henry? Oh yeah, the ship interiors, that's, that was really something. As a big Elite player, I'm definitely missing ship interiors, and the things they're doing in Star Citizen just blow me away. It may have been mostly corridors for the most part, but they were really, really pretty. Some of the work areas they showed with the consoles and, and even the bridge areas were really, really detailed. I don't know that a lot of that had been seen before by me, but I, I really appreciated the artwork that went into that. The bridge was really, really something. Yeah, I was surprised because I think the Idris Bridge, if I was matching the interior and exterior shots, I think the Idris Bridge is exposed, which it was. It seems to be on that top roll bar, which I thought it was located like more toward the prow of the ship. I'm not sure where that particular one's located, but I did like uh, they were discussing the way they set up the layout for the internal compartments of the ship, and they were talking about how they flow from one to the other and were logical. Something you don't, I mean, you see it in a lot of games, but not done. Um, quite as well as what they were showing today, I think. They really were trying to build realistic ships, and I think it shows in their interiors. Yeah, and the Javelin was pretty. Yeah, absolutely. And it would, it did, like, when they, they showed all of them one right after another, and it really did provide a good sense of, okay, these all belong to the same fleet, because they really did look like logical progressions from one ship class to the next. Yeah, that's something I think adds a lot to the in-game universe. You see that same thing in Elite with uh, the different uh, manufacturers. I do like that. I think it's cool. How do you guys feel about being in-universe, the live stream event today, starting out in-universe the way it did? I thought it was a little... It, it seemed a little forced when they cut to Sandy and Chris, almost like they were trying a little too hard. I thought it was cute, but I think they would have been better served by keeping most of the in-universe stuff front-loaded without needing to go to Chris or Sandy that often. And then as they got more into the personal interviews and more gamey aspects of what they were revealing they could have put those later in the presentation. So it was more of a gradual transition. As it was, it seemed like it was a little jerky. Like, you know, oh, we're in universe. Oh, we're back out. Okay, now we're back in again. That sort of feel. What did you think? I think they, they I like it. I think they have to work on it a little bit. Um, I think that's probably what the problem that we saw today. They just weren't all in on it. You know, they either need to go all in or they need to make it something where it's obvious segments that are in or out of universe. Because you're right, it was a little confusing back in, in and out. And then there were a couple of times when they somebody missed their cue somewhere. Yeah, that's what I mean. It seemed like they were not all 100% into it, but that's not really what they do. You know, these guys aren't performers. They're game developers, right? Yeah, and I was impressed that they had the host, Jax McCleary. I was impressed with the number of voiceovers they had for him, because obviously they would have had to render the character for a lot of it, and then they would have had to pay the voice actor, which I don't think the person who does him is in-house, but then again, I'm not sure. I'm sure it was a lot of work, but that's not something we don't see very often with Star Citizen reveals. I wonder, you know, how much effort went into the sandworm. You know what I mean? We're used to seeing that kind of effort and, and 
uh, work put into something that is just a major set piece for something we're seeing at a reveal. Yeah. A treat for many backers is probably the reveal of the Prowler in-universe. It's a reconstruction of a Tavaran landing craft, but unlike the Karathu Al or the Merchantman, it is actually an alien craft, and it contains a few pieces of alien tech. Those include air shields that allow the craft to run with exit doors open while still protecting the occupants, and the VTOL, or vertical takeoff and lift systems, that let the gunship hover, which are the same tech that apparently keeps the Dragonfly craft aloft. The ship's appearance caused a lot of people to comment that they've seen something very much like it somewhere else. Its front profile is a shallow V-shape with large engine pods at the end of each wing, and from the side the main fuselage sweeps back and dips slightly like a wasp in flight. People immediately compared it to the flying craft from Terminator Resurrection, Final Fantasy Spirits Within, and even the real-life Osprey VTOL ship. One other unique feature is a set of blades that deploy from the engine's pods when the ship lands. These aren't weapons, they're armor plates designed to provide extra cover for debarking troops. So yeah, as soon as I saw the Prowler, I was like, I've seen this somewhere before, but I'm not sure if they actually took design cues from other craft from different sci-fi things, or if it was just, if you're designing a VTOL gunship, this is probably what it's going to look like. Yeah, that's true. I mean, everybody's going to think VTOL, they're going to think of the Osprey, and that's going to be where they get their reference. Uh, It makes sense that we see similarities between the ships from Final Fantasy terminator resurrection and then again here the armor plates that give you extra cover i think star citizen is probably the only game where you're gonna actually be using that on a ship to cover debarking troops because you know they've got the model is such that the players are rendered you know their avatars are rendered and the ships are all rendered you know it's all really happening they're just not gonna spawn outside of the ship's spawn point or something when they debark it's gonna be neat to see how that plays into ship design I'm kind of curious the reasoning behind even building such a ship like this as we have other gunboat marine lifters. Since all ships seem to be able to hover anyway, it would make sense that we didn't need a purpose built for this. Part of it's probably just, I mean, they want to do something that they can link to the Tivaran since they've already got a Banu, the Vandul, and the Jian, so... They needed a ship for the last race. Yeah, this ship has been done before. You know, it's kind of hard not to do a ship like this and still not be recognizable as something that's been done. Wasn't this in Prometheus, something like this in Prometheus as well? Well, the Prometheus ship had a similar design, but it was much, much bigger. Right. It's like I said, I think this might just be a case of if you're designing a VTOL gunship, it's going to look something like this. They were touting the troop deployment system as kind of unique, where it has all of those doors that open, but they maintain the shields in front of them. So theoretically, like, the interior is still protected even though the doors are open. I don't know how strong those shields are, obviously, but I guess all the other ships, like, if you open the door, the doors open, which means any armor on the ship doesn't apply and they can shoot right into it. So that seems to be the main selling point. Yeah, but have you seen that movie with Tom Cruise and he's in battle and he lives the day over and over and over and over again? Yep. But that, to me, seems more of a realistic troop deployment. You know how they, you know, drop right out of the center on those tethers? To me, that would be, like, the way to go. Because it just seems silly to land a ship because you become the ship becomes vulnerable on a big-ass target when it's on the ground. 
Yeah. And also, I don't know how many situations where it's going to be applicable in-game where you need to land a bunch of troops. Right. I'm sure it's going to be somebody's favorite ship. I mean, I think it's a beautiful ship. It's a nice ship. It may be very situational, but it's going to be perfect for somebody. And that's that's a great thing yeah. about the variety we have. Actually, I just I just realized it. Like, most of the boarding actions on stations you're gonna have to land because there's no way to like drop into a station so that's probably what this is designed for like you landed in the hangar and then they deploy that oh that makes sense yeah i'm sure a lot of cool things will emerge from it once we get into playing with it yep as mentioned previously the demo of star marine was packaged as an esports competition between two teams one led by disco lando and the other by tyler whitkin They did three rounds, one in Arena Commander, one in the Murray Cup, and then the final as a best of three in Star Marine. To make Arena Commander interesting, the players were flying in the new ship variants. The term variant is using an older definition, based on what they said in the stream. None of the variants represented fundamental changes to the ship's performance or hull, like the Cutlass or the 350R. They are variants only because of their weapon loadouts and individualized skins for each ship. Our research badgers started fiercely debating the merits of the various paint jobs and couldn't get the loadouts for us, but this is what we could grab from the video. The Avenger Titan Renegade features a blue, black, and gold paint scheme and seems to be armed with the new space shotgun weapons. The Hornet's wildfire paint is white, or light gray and a fire engine red, and its loadout seems to be primarily repeating lasers. The Gladius Valiant has a green and orange paint scheme and is described as having a dogfighting optimized loadout. And the Saber Comet has what could probably be called an urban digital camo look with its teal headlights, but it was difficult to determine how the loadout differed from the default. The long-awaited Star Marine demo was the last section of the tournament, The teams played three rounds of a familiar FPS trope, capturing and holding command points in a level. There appeared to be an upper limit for points required, but the game was on a time limit that meant it was never reached by either team, so winning was just determined by who had the most points when time ran out. The level looked interesting. It was largely open plan, without many distinct rooms, but ample catwalk structural members and half walls provided cover and a maze-like quality. There were also several sections of the level that were out of atmosphere. When transitioning, marked by a force field, the sound of weapons and actions was dulled, although not eliminated. Long EVA jumps and odd angles of insertion were possible in these areas, and the livestream even featured one zero-gravity joust. Gameplay differed from a lot of the more popular FPSs, but not so much that it would seem alien to regular players. The HUD was very minimalist, though it's not clear if that's the way it will stay or if elements haven't been completed. It may be part of the tactical portion of the game. There is no immediate indicator that says what team a figure is on, and there are a few incidences of friendly fire in the demo. Also, while you can get a small indicator of your shots are hitting a target, there is no definitive notification that you've killed your target. Those who aren't paying attention could easily end up wasting ammo on an already dead target. The time to kill will probably draw some criticism from modern FPS veterans. Using what could be considered a standard automatic assault rifle, it took one and a half to two seconds of sustained fire to bring down a full health enemy, which is much longer than most Battlefield and Call of Duty games, and eternities longer than modern tactical first-person shooters such as Rainbow Six Siege where gun damage is often instantly lethal. 
Chris Roberts said this was an intentional design choice as he wasn't a fan of first-person shooter gameplay where one could end up instantly dead without warning. His vision isn't a universal one, however, as the live chat during the demo had widely varying comments from watchers, including everything from this looks awesome to anyone who likes this hasn't played a first-person shooter since 2004. Missing from the demo were any players adopting different stances, such as crouching or going prone, leaning around corners or peeking over barriers, climbing ladders or vaulting low obstacles, or using any of the special tools such as deployable shields or decoy holograms. It's not clear how many, if any, of these items will make it into the release. Interesting. I'm kind of a bit concerned by this, if it's going to be popular or not, because I would probably be one of those distractors having played first-person shooters. Why is it that people can't put in realistic bullet damage and realistic armor values? I mean, the whole like, concept of combat, the science of it is the fact that people build a better gun and people build better protection against the better gun. So if I'm a sniper and I take a headshot, I want to make sure that A, I'm not hitting their helmet and B, I'm getting a good kill or a, you know, a headshot out of it. And I don't want to sit there and put three rounds in when one round would do just fine. So yeah. I'm kind of dismayed by this. I thought this was going to be a realistic universe with realistic values. 100% agree. Yeah, I was rather surprised when I was watching the gameplay that the times to kill were so long. Like, I could tell when I was watching that headshots were doing more damage, but I've been playing Battlefield 1 recently... I've played Overwatch, I've played Call of Duty games in the past, and the times to kill here are much, much longer. Nobody in the game had uh, what could be considered a sniper rifle, so I don't know if what you were saying would apply, but yeah, I, it might be that they just don't have the armor worked out. Like, maybe they gave everyone the equivalent of heavy armor in the background so that it would be a, a more interesting fight to watch. But yeah, I don't know. Well, that, that changes your tactical choices, though. If you know that... Uh... I mean, for heavy armor, you use heavy guns. For light armor, you use light guns and, and so on. And so, I mean, there's so much to FPS. It, it's not just a kill fest. It, it, it's a balance between ballistics and protection. Right. And people did... One argument that I think is worth keeping in mind is that Star Marine is another one of the games within the game. Originally, it was going to be, this is the test bed for our FPS mechanics, but that seems to have gone out the window because FPS already exists in the Persistent Universe Alpha. But if these values slip over into the universe, then that changes the game. Isn't it for certain that they will? Isn't that the point? Well... That's what everyone's assuming, but I don't... I'm mostly making a devil's advocate argument here, but I can see if Arena Commander is maintained as a separate module within the code, it's possible they could leave some values tweaked so that the FPS experience in Arena Commander is different from the FPS experience in the Persistent Universe. I don't know that that necessarily benefits anyone, but... Yeah, if that's not the case, then they're probably going to get a lot of feedback on this, and it's not going to be positive. Well, and, and here's my other counter to that, because if you use Star Marine as a training platform, you're training to spend a lot of ammo, Yeah, basically. that's that's true. And, and so you, you're setting yourself up for failure 
almost every time you go out into the into the persistent universe and and experience you know combat. One bright side though was the EVA stuff in the demo was neat. Like they said, it there was one point where two people on opposite teams jumped out of windows toward each other and were just firing as they went, and one person ended up dead. But that was kind of a neat thing to watch. Yeah, EVA combat's always fun to watch. It looks like it's going to be uh, complicated, though. Probably just disorienting. As is traditional following the live stream, a number of ships are going on sale. Limited number sales of the Idris and the Javelin took place starting on the Friday of the live stream. At several points during each day, Unfortunately, all such times have passed by the time this episode airs. On continuous sale throughout the week is the new Prowler, priced at $425. However, that's mostly for the people who decide to melt a whole fleet of their own ships to get their hands on it. If you're willing to drop real cash money greenbacks on the craft, it'll only cost you $380. Obviously, the use of the modifier only is subjective. That melted ship versus paying real money price point is apparently a new standard for the concepts. The cash option is labeled as a war bond version of whatever ship or item is on sale. At the time of this writing, the Gladius variant is the only other example with the cash version available for $100 while the melted option version goes for 110. Older ships that are not being released for the first time appears to have only one price regardless of the payment method. The new variants are scheduled to be on sale in staggered fashion throughout the week along with other ships from the various ship manufacturers. Probably not the Phoenix. This continues until November 26th where all ships that were on sale throughout the week not including the Idris or Javelin will be offered for sale once more. So if you're traveling on Wednesday and have family events all day Thursday, you'll still have a chance to grab an Avenger, Titan, Renegade come Saturday. The full schedule of what manufacturers and variants are on sale and when is in the main post associated with the live stream, linked in the show notes. So, yeah, sorry, Jeff. I mean, I don't know for certain that the Phoenix isn't on the list, but based on historical evidence. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, I know. It's a sad disappointment in the state of the affairs of Star Citizen, but, you know, it's only a minor one, so I can live with it. You know, this whole, this whole, I don't know what they're thinking. You know, I, if I pay a hundred dollars for a ship and I melt it to get store credit back, I should get a hundred dollars store credit yes. back. Not ninety dollars. Right. Absolutely. <sighs> the one silver lining, even though it's, it's actually more like a bronze lining is that it's only applied to the new concept ships it doesn't apply across the board so if i bought a concept ship at 400 bucks at the last concept ship sale and i melted to get another concept ship shouldn't i get equal value i mean it it seems to me that there this is one of those examples where they're just trying to eke out any extra money that they're you know they can and they're using these silly excuses to do so. Yeah, I can't I can't really argue with that. The argument from their perspective, and I'm not saying it's entirely valid necessarily, and this comes up in the section about the letter, is that in their mind it's not straight you're buying this ship. It's you're donating to the development and we're giving you these ships as a reward for that. So Obviously, they're going to be a little more willing to help out the people who give them money as opposed to those who just shuffle around the digital products that they already have. Yes, but I already gave them money. In fact, I gave them $1,800 of my monies. 
So, you know, the, whether it's now or, or later, it's still the fact that they've got my monies. I'm not asking for it back. I'm just ask, asking it to be, you know, a different reward. Yeah. Right. And he's yeah, giving them more money in this instance. You know, they're, they're, he's not just trading in assets he has. He's saying, I want a bigger, better ship. I'm going to contribute again. They're just like, great. We appreciate your contribution. Give us another one. And uh, there's some depreciation on your virtual vehicle that's not real. It's depreciated, you know? Yeah, it, it's no, it's uh, I mean, what? it is. <laughs> it's, I'm thinking of it like a vehicle depreciation. You're trading in okay. your old ship. You yeah, know? but this isn't this isn't the buy and sell market. This is a like you said, a development. Oh, don't get me uh, wrong. Uh, it's process. wrong. But that's I'm sure that's, <laughs> that's the way they feel about it. They'll also probably argue yeah. that you've had that ship for a while. You've used it. You did get enjoyment out of that. You know, you are getting a new ship, but you did use the old one. You you have had it's it. It's an alpha. I agree, yeah, 100. percent I'm playing devil's advocate I, I here, but I agree with you 100. percent They, if they wanted to show us something, they would just give us an even swap. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, this is largely indefensible, and the arguments are slim. But they want money. Whether they need money is arguable. You know, and I know, people are going to pay for it. I mean, oh, like yeah. we started, like we started out, it's like doing a crowdfunding update at this point would be the height of stupidity because we'd say a number. And by the time this airs on Tuesday, it's probably going to be like two point five million dollars out of whack. Yeah, I agree. It's it's simply people are going to buy regardless of what we say or how they feel. They're just going to buy it. And that's okay. I can't say that this is a smart move on their part, but, you know, hey, if people want to shell it out, buyer beware, <laughs> you know. Our last bit of Star Citizen news for the week, Chris released a letter from the chairman just as the live stream started on Friday, along with a note thanking all the backers for their contributions and outlining how much the company has grown since the initial crowdfunding campaign, Chris addressed two subjects, ship sales and Star Citizen's development schedule. With regard to the sales, he basically gave a longer version of the disclaimer that's been presented on every concept sale for a while now. To wit, you don't have to buy ships. Buying a bigger, more expensive ship will not instantly make you, quote, leet in the game, and the ships are offered as rewards for giving extra money back to the project. He stressed that people who are starting in an Aurora will have just as much game to play as those with Connie's or Idris's, and any and all of the ships on sale now will be purchasable in-game when it releases. When it releases brings us to his other point. Chris said that pretty much the only part of development CIG isn't really open about is their schedule and planned release dates, mostly because they have been bitten in the past. Unfortunately, it puts them in a lose-lose situation because not divulging anything leads to speculation about the modules, features, and or the entire game being hopelessly behind schedule. Apparently, they're going to try a compromise. CIG will be making their internal development schedule for 2.6 available on their website for anyone to peruse at any time. And in Chris's own words, Whether or not to share this kind of information has been a long-running debate among the entire team here at Cloud Imperium Games. Target dates are not release dates, and everything you see will shift at some point, sometimes slightly and sometimes wildly. The danger in doing this has always been that casual observers will not understand this, that there will be an outcry about delays every time we update the page. You have allowed us to take this journey, you have tracked and followed so much of how game development works, and now we think it's right to further part the curtain and share with you our production process. So for Star Citizen Alpha 2.6, we're going to share our internal schedule and its breakouts on a weekly basis. 
These are the very same schedules we update daily and are circulated internally on our IntraStudio handoffs. We'll modify the technical wording to make it readable for a wider audience, but otherwise, when something changes, slips, or is completed, you will know. Well, it's been a debate at CIG, so obviously we're going to have to make it a debate here. So simple question, no fluff. Is the posted schedule available for all backers a good move? Henry says yes. Jeff says no. Henry, what's your argument? Well, any transparency they can give us at this point is going to help, even if it just shows forward progress and leaves a record of what they've done, because we'll be able to look at how the schedules actually change. Okay, quick and concise. Jeff, what's your response? Well, unfortunately, the gaming community as a whole is not reading the situation as it is presented. You all get people like the Merrick dorks that um, think that it's being passed along by um, some slippage of the timeline or something. And then we'll have this ruckus going around about, oh, we have been duped. Okay, and Henry, what do you say to that? That's a good point, but it, it could be that this release of the schedule will still combat that because there will be visible forward progress, even if they're not making the big landmarks. We'll see a visual record of what they have done, and we'll see what they're working on. And we'll know the things that are giving them trouble, because we'll see them slip and they'll be able to talk about them. So if nothing else, it's transparency. And Jeff, your final rebuttal? Well, it's, that may be true, but the minority always usually has the loudest voice on the online community in this case. Not in such cases as elections, but that's a different topic entirely. So, I think that... Um, this is a bad idea. Simply, it may be a good idea in practice, but it's a bad idea, or a good idea on paper, but it's a bad idea in practice because uh, it will just get uh, abused or abused online. Okay, thank you both for your input. I am genuinely not sure. I, I honestly don't think this is going to have much of an effect at all either way. I think the people who think that CIG is completely off the rails and can't manage their schedule are just going to use this as evidence for their side. And I think the people who believe everything is on track are going to make the same argument. I will say it'll be nice. It'll be interesting to, to see the development schedules and how they're progressing on what they're working on. That, that to me is the most interesting thing. I've never been one for release dates. All I want to know is that the game is going to be released. That's all I care about. I get excited when the release date is announced because then I have something to plan on. I've been in this business far too long to worry about it. They should have done this from the very beginning, I think. And this would have been a non... I mean, a lot of this stuff would have been non-issues if that had been the case. Yeah, but again, they were the front runners in this type of development, so... It sounds like throughout the debate, we've all come around to the side of, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Jeff says he wishes they'd probably done it from the beginning. And you started out on the fence, but you seem uh, a pro doing this now, too. Am I well, right? Well, no, I mean, we didn't reverse. We think it's a good idea, but it's not a good idea to solve the problem that they want to I solve. See. Right. Like, their stated reason for this is to quell people's worries about slipping dates and missing deadlines. I don't think this is going to help that at all. I do think it's a good move for open development because actually your point in the debate more transparency is good after all of that star citizen goodness 
we have an uplifting anecdote from Elite to share with you all. Now surely in this crowd, some of you will remember that classic Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Darmok. This was the one where Picard and an alien of the week have to kill an invisible lightning dinosaur with a pair of daggers. But the alien only speaks in memes. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Timba, his arms wide, and so on. Gamers can do the same thing. Some memes are instantly recognizable as part of gaming legends. Dying of dysentery is not just a historical calamity, it's also a reference to the inevitable death in Oregon Trail. You can do a barrel roll or finish him, or even call upon the wrath of Leroy Jenkins, and gamers will get the gist. Well, we here at Garb Frequency want to add a new meme to the gamer lexicon, Chiggy and Macedonia in the Deep Black. Let us explain. Commander Macedonica was making the pilgrimage out to Beagle Point, the farthest point away from Earth you can get in the Milky Way. Only 1,000 light years away from his destination, he jumped into a system and didn't have enough fuel or fuel boosters to get out. The planetary bodies within range didn't have the minerals he needed to craft the required fuel components with his rover. He was stuck in the deep black, with his only real option being suicide in order to respawn back at his starting station. He posted his plight to the Frontier Forum. Lo and behold, the noble commander Chiggy von Rechthofen, and no, I'm not making any of this up, answered the call. Loading his souped-up ass explorer with a mining laser or two, he jumped out into the void, feet first, to come to Commander Masakadaika's rescue. Upon arriving, Chiggy got to work cracking rocks and looking for the rare element needed to boost Macedonica out of his inky black coffin of doom. As soon as the element popped out, Macedonica scooped it up, synthesized the booster, and they all lived happily ever after, until they forgot to request landing permission from Jacques Station and were instantly vaporized for trespassing. The end. Oh, just kidding about the last part. That last report, they got home safe. <laughs> Although that would have made for an ironic ending. Yeah. It's actually a really great story about emergent gameplay that can happen in Elite. It's funny that it's really emergent based on some limitations in the game, like He's not able to mine because he didn't have a mining laser, but he's also not able to have someone just bring him what he needs because you can't transfer materials. Uh, someone had to go out there with the laser and dig it up. Yeah, in him. fact, uh, Commander Chiggy went from where he was, which was, I believe, somewhere near the uh, galactic core, but closer to the bubble than Macedonica was. He went all the way to Jack's station just to refit his ship uh, for the mining that was going to have to be done, and then he went there... Uh, to mine the rings for for uh, Macedonica. He really went out of his way to save somebody. And he's not actually even a fuel rat, I heard, though they did uh, commend him for his efforts. Yeah, I was going to say, if he hops over into Star Citizen, we'll have to look at recruiting him to guard frequency. Absolutely. Need more guys like that. So I have an elite dangerous non-player question. I remember that at some point the developers released a note saying that only like a minuscule portion of the galaxy had actually been explored in the game. But I keep hearing these stories about people who are traveling to like the far edges of the Milky Way. Like this one was the furthest point from Earth and then somebody else, I remember there was the story of he basically went to like all the cardinal points in the galaxy. So were they wrong and more of the galaxy is explored than they were counting on? Or is it just that people are only going to these landmarks and leaving like all of the middle untouched? What you're not considering is that there are so many billions of stars. When, when you're playing Elite, if you zoom up on the map and you're plotting a course... As you zoom in, there's so many stars around you. You're, you're in this, this cloud of particles. And to go from one side of the galaxy to another, you're jumping you know, in, a, in a chain 
of stars. So you're not exploring every star along the path. So as you go along that path, you're probably going to be going to someplace someone's been along a path plotted from a populated system to that uh, landmark, and you're going to be following a similar path. Even if you're yeah. not hitting all the same systems someone else did, you're hitting some that are discovered, some that are not, but you're, you're definitely not discovering every star along the way. There's definitely more right. than, than anybody's ever going to discover all of in Elite, but I'm not sure what the percentages are right now. So now it's time for news we didn't use. CIG Livestream also featured a brief Q&A session about Spectrum and the developer discussion about the Tavarian, including a picture of them posted on CIG's website. Eve Valkyrie has launched for the HTC Vive and is available for purchase now. However, it's done so without support for the HTC Vive motion controls. You can still play using a standard gamepad, so if you've got a Vive and $60 to spend on it, get it and tell us how great it is. iNove Studios has launched their pledge upgrade system, now accepting all major credit cards and even Bitcoin. Work is in progress for the next Descent Underground Proving Grounds build. They are reducing some of the mineable elements in the Corporate Wars map, which are causing major performance issues. They are also adding rocks to the radar and adding new power-ups that affect your radar called Sentinel and Scrambler orbs. Gareth Bourne, the procedural development wizard at Hello Games, has left the No Man's Sky development team and has taken up a new position with Cloud Imperium Games. Inove is turning to its backers for input on the art design for one of its ships in Infinity Battlescape. Head over to the forums if you want to make your voice heard. The Elite Dangerous devs have rebalanced the passenger missions that have been nerfed into oblivion. Players can now restart service to their nearest vacation hubs. heard our thoughts on it earlier we want to hear yours so this week's community question cig is publishing their internal development schedule for all backers on their website straight up is this a good move or not send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com now that we're all caught up with the latest news let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation okay buddy what's on your mind we're all friendlies so let's just be friendly some say he knows how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, and that he's pitch perfect, but only of an Italian. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Are world-altering apocalyptic events in a game a good way to keep the game fresh and exciting, or do they needlessly alienate the loyal players when add-on zones and content are just as effective? Delic Firehawk writes, Done well and in moderation, yeah. The problem comes when they change beloved and engaging mechanics for dumbed-down ones. I'm looking at you, WoW and SWG. Think you mean Star Wars Galaxies? Yeah, that yeah. would have been Star Wars Galaxies. Yep. Jace Pentad commented, They could be interesting, but I play at a slow pace and dislike events that leave me behind in a game. Usually I just quit. Sean Newboy writes, Excellent job, everyone. Apocalyptics are fine as long as they don't become a reoccurring thing. They should not occur more than every so many years. SC should actually have them. Alien races, X starts a war, UE takes uh, X sector, and so on. So, Henry, you weren't around for 
that particular discussion. Do you have any take on it? Actually, yeah, I think uh, I, I play Star Trek Online a lot, like a whole lot. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I really like about that is I started a long, long time ago when the game first launched, and we had a different space dock, we had different um, environments, there were different stories, there was a whole different beginning for your character, a whole new uh, intro story, and that's changed several times, not just through expansions, but through these apocalyptic events like the destruction of the original space dock, uh, things like that. So there are things that as a veteran player I've seen and got to be a part of that new guys won't get a chance to see. So even though they may be able to step in and get to higher level quickly um, to get to the end game content that everybody else is playing and, and they may see the new bells and whistles on the new space dock and that's cool. Um, they're not getting the experience that I had as a veteran player. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm really losing out by having had some apocalypse happen in game. It's cool that I got to take part in it. Okay. A Space Toy writes in to say, do a podcast on combat logging. Do a podcast on combat logging? You know, combat logging in Space Sims is a big, uh, big problem, I think. I see it a lot in Elite. And there's not really much that, you know, companies can do about it because they can't genuinely say you combat log. I suppose I haven't heard the term before. Oh, well, what it is is oh when... Imagine imagine you're fighting someone in a dogfight, and you're going to win, and they just pull their Ethernet cable, or they Alt-F4 and close the application, and it looks to the game as though they lost their connection. So they're treated as, oh, you lost your connection, log back in, and you'll be in a safe space, and there's no problem. Ah. The problem is the person that was fighting them doesn't get the claim for the kill, and a lot of times this is a tactic engaged in by people that are, you know, jumping on players, uh, playing pirate, um, that kind of thing, and doing malicious things in the first place. So it's just a form of griefing, and I'm not going to abuse that word today, but it's definitely griefing combat logging. Yeah, okay. No, I've, I, I'm aware of the behavior. I just never heard that particular term applied to it. Oh, yep, that's it. Uh. That's what they mean. And we could probably do a whole podcast on it, but I don't think any resolution would happen. You know, like I said, there's there's not much you can do about it. We could probably do a whole podcast, but we could definitely do a debate on it. So we might keep that in our pocket for a community question. Probably not whether it's bad or not, but more on how it can be combat. That's a good idea. So thank you, Space Toy. Why don't we give him an achievement? And this week's community question. CIG is publishing their internal development schedule for all backers on their website. Straight up, is this a good move or not? Let us know your thoughts. Also, if you have any other impressions, opinions, or gripes about the Star Citizen Anniversary livestream, we want to hear them. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So, how was the show? Would you like to see our behind-the-scenes notes, or should we stick to having a very controlled external appearance? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 146 of Guard Frequency. Next week in the U.S., it's the Thanksgiving holiday, and we won't be recording a show. 
But fear not, we'll be back with episode 147 on December 2nd. So to be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at our website, GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 4 a.m. in Portugal. Britain's oldest ally also shares their time zone. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Sanders, and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer for this week, Lennon. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. the shoe and he felt yeah. after all of that star citizen good ones <clears throat> after all of that star citizen goodness <laughs> i'm gonna start this whole thing over again because i cannot read today um who's good with anyway to be to come to commander mac 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 <laughs> that was macedonica <laughs> to to come to commander macedonica's